you know, if you like see, like you're like on Instagram and you're like, man, like I'd really love to like be able to do this, like some outdoor something. Just go do it, go try it. Even if that's like, you know, hiking it up top your local hill or renting a kayak or a canoe and going canoeing on the reservoir near your house or, you know, just like, don't make an excuse. Just go out there and do it. And I bet you'll see that it's easier than you think. That was Kristen Bohr, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 80. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me. The podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. As you might have noticed, this show isn't released every week like most other podcasts. Instead, full eight-episode seasons go live on the first of the month every other month. And in each season, you'll get to meet a wide range of interesting and refreshingly imperfect people who join me for one reason only, to share the truth of what's really going on in their lives and to talk about things that we think don't get talked about openly and honestly enough. That means deep conversations about work-life balance, body image, shame, fear, relationships of all types, sex, social media, religion, mental health, racism, parenting, self-improvement, goal setting, and more. And of course, since this is an adult podcast that covers adult topics, you can expect to hear adult language from time to time. So consider this your little warning on that. Let's see, what else do I want to tell you about this show? Basically, I just want you to know that no one's trying to sell you anything. No one's forcing their agenda down your throat. No one is trying to get you to fix yourself. No one's preaching a so-called perfect six-step life hack plan for anything, which thank goodness, right? Because I'm so over that type of stuff. Instead, my hope is that each episode of this show makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want, to know that I'm not alone. Which is why this podcast is more than a podcast. It's a community. And you won't hear any ads or any sponsors or any other kind of outside influence. The show is actually 100% listener funded. And each new episode is made possible by people just like you, who have pledged $8 per eight-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon. And not only does your support cover the costs of producing the show and ensure that it can keep going throughout the year, but it also earns you access to over 30 hours of exclusive bonus content and a super fun community. You'll get extra episodes with favorite past guests, people like Kate Grace, Kathleen Shannon, Alexandra Franzen, and Carrot Quinn, just to name a few, with new bonus episodes added every month. You'll also get end-of-month reflection episodes directly from me, where I go into detail about my successes, failures, goals, and lessons learned each and every month. You'll get my popular weekly email series, Notes of Grit and Grace, in your inbox each Friday if you want that. You'll be able to join our fun, casual monthly book club if that's your thing. And you'll just have lots of cool opportunities to help shape the future of the show. So for all of that, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per season. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your support is what will enable the show to continue. And if you're in the position to be able to help fund the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. Plus, it's going to be so much fun for us to be able to get to know each other behind the scenes in our community. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Kristen Bohr. Kristen is the van-dwelling, GoPro-toting, full-time adventure travel blogger behind Barefoot Theory. 
In 2014, Kristen found herself in a suit and heels working in the halls of Congress in Washington, D.C. She was eager to spend more time outside, but struggled to find the time or the resources to help her plan, like websites that told her where to go, what gear to pack, and how to improve her outdoor skill set. Instead, she found websites that featured pro athletes hucking themselves off cliffs and kayaking Class 5 rapids, and rather than being inspired, she was intimidated. How was a late 20s outdoor bloomer supposed to get their start? And that's how Barefoot Theory was born. Shortly after, Kristen quit her DC job, traded her heels for hiking boots, and dove headfirst into the blogging world where she shows everyday people how to live a more adventurous life. In this episode, Kristen tells the details of the story behind quitting her job to become a full-time blogger, complete with details of how much money she saved, the part-time jobs she worked to make it happen, and how she makes her income now. Don't you love when people are honest about money? It's my favorite. We also discuss how much unsexy work goes into running a travel or adventure website, and we talk through some of the myths and misconceptions that hold people back from exploring the outdoors. Kristen shares the fears that she had when she was first getting started with nature exploring and assures us that it's totally awesome to start small, meaning that adventure is still adventure even if it only happens on the weekend or in your own hometown. You certainly don't need to quit your job and head off to New Zealand in order to have an incredible adventurous time. I so appreciate Kristen's honesty throughout this episode, and I hope you have fun learning more about her as well. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at nicoleantoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hey, Nicole. Great to Great to be on here. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I feel like I have a ton of questions for you. But first, I would love for you to set the scene for me. Where in the world are you right now? What are you doing today? Uh, well, I'm currently in Salt Lake City. Uh, so I'm uh, been spending a couple of months here this winter. I've been like learning how to ski. And it's a great place to be basing myself. And then I'm also working on relaunching like a whole new version of my website. So I'm just here working on that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's funny. I was going to ask you like, what's something interesting that you've been working on lately and why is it interesting to you? But it sounds like working on the relaunch of the site maybe is that. Yes. No, I'm uh, really, really, really excited about it. So I, I started my blog about three years ago and I had like no background in web development or design or anything like that. And, uh, I finally am like ready to make the investment to make it more professional and just better all around. So I'm working with a company. They're based in Australia, actually. And um, they're like, we're working hand in hand to kind of create like a whole new look and, you know, just make it easier for people to find like the content that they're looking for. So I think it's going to make it a lot better. I'm really excited. And I think it's, it's looking really, really good, too. So do you have a projected timeline for when the new site's going to be up? Uh, <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be like next month, but I think now realistically, probably like right before summer, there's just like, you know, there's like over 250 posts on my site and I have to transfer all of those and make sure that they all look right and all that. So it's just, there's a lot of like behind the scenes work, just the fine tuning that I think is going to take a little bit of time for me. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's always one of those things where as much as you want to get it done, it's probably worth the, you know, like the nitty gritty time of making sure that everything is the way that you want, even if it means that it like delays it a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And that is good for me. I'm I'm not like the most patient person. So 
it's a good exercise <laughs> for me. I mean, yeah, any kind of like tech web design stuff, web development stuff. Yeah, that will bring out your need to have like Zen patience. Yes. <laughs> so how did you become an, a lover of adventure, the outdoors? Like, is that how you were raised from what I know about your story? It doesn't sound like it is. No. Yeah, no, I, my parents don't camp or anything like that. Uh, my, my dad took me camping once when I was like, a, I don't know, probably five. We took a boat over to Catalina Island and set up a tent and uh, that was like the only time I went camping and we never went again. <laughs> so I kind of like laugh about that story now. Cause we, you know, my dad had like a little red wagon and we wheeled our stuff from the boat to our campsite. And then, um, we actually saw like a little herd of wild boars running around the campsite. So that was pretty exciting, but yeah, we never really did that, did that again. So I went to like a pretty outdoorsy college and I grew up in Idaho. So, you know, it's like, I was sort of surrounded by nature, but I never really like interacted with it really. And, um, like I went to a pretty outdoorsy college, I went to the university of Puget Sound. And I remember like the first week of orientation, we had this thing called passages and, like you had some options. You could like stay at the base camp that it was like a summer camp basically. Um, or you could go backpacking and I signed up for the backpacking and then I got there to pick up my equipment and I totally wimped out and I was like, I don't know how I can't do this. Like I, I was afraid cause I didn't like know what I was doing. I didn't know if I was going to be like in good enough physical shape to do it. And so I just stayed at the base camp and Never went backpacking the whole time I was in college. And then uh, I went on my first backpacking trip, like, pretty soon after graduation. And, like, it it was awesome. It it didn't really – it was sort of smooth. I mean, I forgot my hiking boots, so I had to hike in Chacos, which, like, wasn't wasn't that awesome for, like, my first backpacking trip. But um, it was really pretty and, like, kind of, like, got me excited about exploring the outdoors more. So – um, I kind of like started day hiking a little bit more and then, I don't know, I took a break from it. I went, I taught scuba diving for a little bit. So sorry, <laughs> kind of like lots of tangents here, but, um, so I taught scuba diving for a while after college and then I ruptured my eardrums and I couldn't do it anymore. Oh and so God. then I, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a little bit crazy. I was, um, in Indonesia, like on this teeny little island. And like we went diving in the morning. It was awesome. We got to swim with these beautiful manta rays. And my ear was just like really bothering me the whole afternoon. Like I didn't do the second dive that night. I was feeling like really nauseous. And then we were sitting in our little bungalow that night. And all of a sudden I felt this like huge squeeze in my ear. My ear started bleeding. I was like, Oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah, it was super painful. It turns out my eardrum ruptured. And so we had to take like a express boat back to Bali. And that was the last time I dove and like my backgrounds in marine conservation. So that was a little bit of a bummer because I had sort of like set up this career path for myself based on my interest in oceans and diving. And then it was kind of like, well, I have to kind of switch gears here. So at least in terms of my hobbies. And, um, 
So then I came back to the States and it was sort of like, I think that was sort of like the rest of that trip. I was in Indonesia for two months and, you know, I had planned on diving the whole time and then I couldn't. So we started doing like more mountain and like hiking type activities. And I was like, wow, this is really fun. So I think that was kind of like how that transition happened where I started getting more interested in like hiking and, you know, less beachy activities and more mountain activities. I guess. Yeah, that's, I mean, the eardrum thing sounds, that sounds terrible. So I don't know anything about rupturing eardrums. Does it, like, what's the healing process? Is it fine now? Could you dive if you wanted to or? You know, I probably could, but I always had problems like clearing my ears, like even on airplanes and stuff or like driving home from the ski hill at the end of the day, I'm always like, you know, trying to clear them. I have, I have a lot of trouble. So I think it, I had a lot of ear infections as a kid. So I think my eustachian tubes are just like a little bit screwed up. <laughs> so I probably could, but it's just not worth it. Not it worth so it, painful. yeah. And like I've now like replaced those hobbies with other things that I probably enjoy even more. So, you know, like I don't look at it as a blessing necessarily, but, you know, it definitely like moved me in a new direction. Yeah, you never know where one thing's going to lead. I always find it interesting when – the kind of choices that we wind up making as adults or the things we get interested in are really different from what we did when we were younger. Because I mean, my, you have, excuse me, done a lot more outdoor adventure stuff than I have, but there's a parallel in our stories for sure in that when I went, I did the Oregon section of the PCT last summer, which I mean, was literally the first thing like that, that I had ever done ever. My husband and I went on a two night really? camping trip before that, just so I could test my gear. And like, that was it. Like, that was the only camping I'd ever done. And I mean, I grew up in Manhattan and my, I mean, my thing was always the most outdoorsy or my expression was always the most outdoorsy thing that my parents have ever done is drink wine on a patio. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Bar- just, or barbecue. <laughs> they, they don't like, they couldn't wrap their mind around what I was doing like they just they were like what happened to our city child like what what is this what are you like why would you ever want to sleep in the woods like what it's just they just don't I mean it's funny yeah no my parents are the same I mean they like think it's awesome that I do it but like they're they're not interested (laughs) so so you said that um obviously the kind of end of the scuba diving and, you know, kind of changed what you thought maybe your career path was going to be. What happened for you work-wise after that? What was kind of the next step or the next iteration? Sure. So I just finished, I'll back up a little bit. So I was teaching scuba diving in Thailand. I was like, I want to go into marine conservation. So I went and got a master's in environmental management um, at UC Santa Barbara and focused on like fisheries conservation And I like somehow landed this fellowship in Washington, D.C., like when I graduated. So uh, that trip that I went to Indonesia was between me graduating from grad school and when my fellowship started. So I already had a job lined up. And um, so basically my fellowship, I worked for Congressman Sam Farr. Our district was like Santa Cruz, Monterey, Big Sur. That area was a beautiful area to work in. Um, even though I was in DC, I got to travel a little bit back and forth. Um, it was called the Knaus Marine Policy Fellowship. So I worked for him and I did like all of his marine conservation policy platform. Like I handled all of that work. And so I worked for him. And then I, that moment my fellowship was over, I moved to a different congressional office and sort of widened my portfolio to like all like public lands and like natural resource issues. 
Um, and then <laughs> I move around a lot. I, I get restless, <laughs> but, uh, and then after that I moved to a, an NGO where I was basically lobbying. So on behalf of like fish and conservation issues. So, um, I was doing like a lot of work on like international fish treaties and which was, is really important work. And I'm like really happy I had the opportunity to do it, but I didn't like, once I was on the lobbying side, I realized that like, oh, I don't think I'm really even that good at this job. Like this, my skill set is not like schmoozing <laughs> on Capitol Hill. Like that was never like what I saw myself wanting to do. And I kind of just ended up there, you know, kind of by chance. And, you know, like when I applied for that fellowship, I didn't actually think I was going to get it. And then I got it and was kind of like, oh, okay, like I got this fellowship, I guess I, ha I should go. Like it's a pretty cool opportunity and uh, I'm glad I did it. But yeah, just like like the suit and heels and that whole world was like totally not me. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand. I couldn't imagine doing that either. Um, so during this time in your life, were you still doing, I mean, some outdoor adventure stuff like on the side or hobbies or what did that look like for you? Was it something yeah. you were super into? No, not really. I mean, I, I was like interest, interested in the outdoors, but um, I didn't really have time. You know, I was working like an insane amount. I bought a condo. So I was like, you know, shopping for furniture on the weekends and, you know, like running errands and doing city things, you know, like I'd never lived in a city like DC before. So I was kind of like, you know, in my free time sticking around there and you know, going to museums, I guess, which I'm also not really a museum person. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I tried a little bit, but it was like, yeah, I just, I felt like there was some barriers there. It wasn't like, like we had a cool park, like Rock Creek Park, right in the middle of downtown DC. Like I would go there and walk my dog and stuff, but I found it kind of hard to get out of town on the weekends. Cause like the traffic would be bad. I always had an excuse, you know, like, Oh, I'm too busy or, you know, just like a lot of people that don't have, you know, don't have time to get outside cause they're busy, you know? So, um, so yeah, <laughs> so not, not really like definitely not as much as I am now. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a, a couple things in that that I want to dig into, but, um, what you were saying about, that it was excuses, right? Like, right. I, I mean, I think for me, something that I find interesting about your work is that I feel like it's really aimed at regular people, right? Like yeah. maybe not someone who like <laughs> grew up cliff diving or whatever, right? right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, something that I was really looking for, I mean, there's so many good resources and stuff online now, obviously, but, you know, when I was getting into things, I really found that even stuff that said that it was beginner resources or this 101 still assumed a level of skills and knowledge and experience that I didn't have. Right. And I think that when you live in a city, a big city, or if that's kind of all you know, or you have your routines, like it's so easy to, like the things that you tell yourself of, you know, I don't have enough time. I always thought that doing stuff outdoors had to be this huge ordeal, right? It's going to take right. like a million, like you can just go for a little while. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, right? Or I would think, right. I don't know where to go, or I don't have the right stuff, or yeah, I don't totally. know enough, or I'm not going to be good enough, right? So, I mean, I think that that's, that's really common in terms of wanting to try anything new, but I'm curious how those potential like excuses or blocks were relevant for you. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I think if you don't like have a lot of experience, it's like, like, you're like, I don't even know, like, what, what kind of shoes do I wear? Like, if you've never really been hiking before, you know, it can be something as simple as that, like, you know, but it's not really that simple if you've never done it before. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, it was like, I didn't really know where to go. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of like new apps and stuff that have come out since then. This was like in 2013. Um, so I think it's getting easier, but you know, it was almost like, I felt like if I was going to make the effort to like get out of the city for a day, I wanted it to be epic. Like I wanted it to be like really big views and like waterfalls and lakes that I could swim in or whatever. And like, to be honest, like some of that, you know, it's like DC is not like an outdoor Mecca for some of those things, I guess, you know, it does have does have some stuff, but it's not like being out West, for instance, you know? So it was like, I wanted it to be really epic. And, and then I'd, you know, I kind of get overwhelmed, like trying to find the right trail or like not finding what I was looking for. And so I just say, Oh, well, I guess like, it's just too much work. Like, you know, it's not going to be worth it, you know, or, and then, yeah, like with gear and stuff, like, you know, like if you want to get interested, like I, I took like a, outdoor climbing class there once but like like dc does have like really good rock climbing along the potomac but like i don't really have any experience rock climbing like i have a harness but like i've only used it in indoors like a couple of times and you know i didn't have friends that climbed so it's just like i i could have gone to the gym and like made that effort but it was there was always something that seemed that, that like some some mental block that prevented me from doing that you know and i think also, you know, I was in a long-term relationship and he wasn't quite as interested in some of the outdoor stuff as me, which, you know, I probably use that as a little bit of an excuse too. like when, you know, I could have gone and done things on my own, but instead I sort of, you know, just sat around the house on the weekends or like I said, went, went to happy hours and did city things. So um, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and so when I quit my job, it was like, I'm not going to make these excuses anymore. You know, like I'm, I want to go head first. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so you're painting a really interesting picture of, you know, you're living in this big city and, you know, you're working for, I mean, you mentioned a couple of different things, but, you know, Washington, D.C. and wearing heels and furniture shopping on the weekends and had a partner who was not interested in this stuff. And you hadn't grown up doing this stuff like that. Basically, the stage was set for you to never do outdoor adventures. Right. So <laughs> right. Um, tell me about the day that you decided to quit your job. Like, had it was it were there specific conversations or was there a breaking point or was there some kind of adventure bucket list that you had? Like, how did that, how did that happen? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a few different elements. So like originally when I signed my contract at my last employer, um, they had a policy where you had to work there three years to become vested. And they actually had like an amazing 401k program. It was like, they gave 8% a year, which is like unheard of. Uh, so, I was like, okay, I'm going to work here for three years so I can become vested. You know, it was kind of on that like career minded track. And then all of a sudden they changed the policy and they said like, we're reducing it to one year. So you only have to work here one year until you're vested. So then all of a sudden I was vested and I felt like this huge weight lifted. Like I felt free. Like, you know, I'd only been working there a year, but I thought, you know, 
I like didn't really love what I was doing. Like I said, I didn't think I was that good at it. And I was like, I was really eager to get back West, like to the mountains. And, you know, I grew up in Idaho and my, all my family was back here. And I was like, felt like I was just using all my vacation time to go from there back home for the holidays. You know, my parents are divorced. So it'd be like, I'd spend like a week with my mom and then a week with my dad. And then all of a sudden I'd have like no time left to do any sort of like international trip or even like, you know, a week long backpacking trip or something. So, um, I started, started kind of thinking like, okay, like what, what like career could I get that would like allow me to travel as like part of my job. And originally when I got that job at the NGO I was working at, they, um, I thought maybe I would get to travel cause they do like a lot of, like I said, a lot of international fish work. And, um, but then I realized like these people that all they do is they're just traveling and they're going and sitting in a conference room and then they're getting on a plane, coming home and then going back to their desk, jet lagged and tired and like feeling like they're completely out of their routine. And I was like, that's not the kind of travel I want to do. And so, um, kind of like, I was like, Oh, you know, I started like researching things like working on a cruise ship, which I would really like, don't want to do like that's, definitely not like a good place for me. But my, my boyfriend at the time was an audio engineer. And so we were kind of like thinking like, Oh, where could we go? Like where we could travel that he could work. And, and so I stumbled, I started reading like travel blogs and I came across a nomadic Matt who you may have heard of. He's like one of the biggest, yeah, I know him. like yeah. well-known travel bloggers. And then also the blonde abroad. And she offered like a one-on-one travel blog mentorship program and she was a little bit more in like the fashion meets travel niche which like isn't me at all but I liked her blog and I liked her voice and I liked like the whole look of and like vibe of her website and so I just decided to sign up and so I was kind of like starting to work on my blog while I still was at my job in DC, like started kind of building it and thinking about, you know, what direction I wanted to take it in. And, and then I just decided like, okay, like I, I really like want to go for this. So i saved, saved up some money at my job and, uh, we decided to move to Las Vegas. <laughs> so my, uh, folks had a place there. And so they were going to sort of give us a a good deal on rent. So I could sort of work on my blog without having to be super worried about like signing the lease on an expensive apartment somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and my ex could get a job as an audio engineer, like easily in Vegas. So, um, anyways, so we moved to Vegas and, shortly after we broke up and I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I just use it as an opportunity to like, like, what could I write about that would be like, not like, I I didn't have a lot of money to like travel abroad or like, you know, go on any big trips, but like the outdoors was like, there was a lot of stuff I could do. It wouldn't cost me a lot of money. I was super close to like the Southern Utah national parks and you know, I just kind of used it as an opportunity to kind of start exploring that side of me a little bit more and, you know, giving me content to write about on my new newly launched blog. And, um, 
So I spent a few months kind of just like exploring my own, my new backyard. And that was pretty exciting. Like I had never been to Southern Utah. I like, you know, never really even like, like Vegas actually has some really cool stuff too, like Red Rocks and Lake Mead and, um, and then, uh, a couple of months after launching, I hiked the John Muir trail, which was like 22 days. And that was really like, that's like what really hooked me into like this new lifestyle. Okay. So first of all, it's a, no, 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 it's amazing. That's a great story. As you were talking, I was like, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about this. One. Okay. So that's up to me to just like settle down for a second. Um, yeah. Interrupt me. So when you quit your job, because I feel like any time the subject of like kind of non-traditional work or taking a risk to do something like build a blog or being kind of like a professional adventurer or whatever, when that comes up, I find that people's most common questions are always about money, right? Which yeah, I mean, yeah, rightly true. so. And yeah. something that I, I mean, obviously that's kind of what this whole podcast is about is, you know, digging into the things that I wish that people talked more honestly about. And so right. much of the kind of adventurers and also just like lifestyle entrepreneurs online, I feel like I mean, and some people are great and transparent about it, but it definitely, some of it has this air of like, well, that's great, but I could never do that because I'm a real person, right? right? So I'm curious when you decided to quit your job, like was it a, I need to save X amount of money? If so, how much was that? Like, what was your financial situation that let you quit your job and take a chance on this blog? Um, You know, I don't really like remember exact amounts that was in my savings account, but I think it was probably around 15 grand. Um, And, you know, like I said, I had a pretty inexpensive, like basically what happened is, is we were going to pay my parents rent. It was a pretty reason. I mean, we were going to pay a thousand bucks a month and for the condo that they were going to let us live in, which isn't even that cheap, but it was a nice condo. And you know, whatever. <laughs> and then when my ex and I broke up, my parents were like, okay, like, you know, this place is either going to sit empty or you could just live in it. So I was really lucky. Like I did have some support from, you know, my family. It's not like they were just, uh, you know, they, they were supportive and I don't, I think I could have done it without them, but it probably would have been a little bit different. Um, I would have had to be a lot more sort of, you know, I was able to hire, you know, a little bit of like, I hired someone to kind of help me build my website, which costs like a thousand bucks, you know? And so, and and I also got a job at REI. So I was working retail. So, you know, it was like, I, I had, I had a cushion of savings. Um, you probably got a sweet discount at REI for all the things you wanted to buy. I did get a (laughs) discount at REI. So like when I hiked the John Muir trail, I got, a huge discount on all the gear, which was also really helpful because I write an outdoor blog. I needed gear to review in order to get some content on my website. So, you know, now it's kind of like, you know, if if there's a piece of gear that I really want to write about, you know, there's ways for me to (laughs) acquire it. But at the time, like no company was going to give me anything, you know, it was like, Oh, I have no social media following. I have no, no readers. Like why would they give me anything to write about? You know? So I had to buy all the gear that I wanted to write about. And so that was really helpful and sort of giving me that discount. And I made some, made some friends in Vegas that I still talk to now. So that was, that was cool. And, um, yeah, so I basically lived in that place for a year. And then once I felt like my blog was starting to produce some income, I mean, it took, it took a year of like 
pretty much not making anything uh, to, to until I started to see like some profits from like my affiliate links on my website. And I started to get, you know, some gigs with outdoor brands and whatnot. But the first year was pretty like, I don't know if this was the right decision. Like I, I like when I was on the John Muir trail, like, you know, my parents were like, Oh, you should go to business school. And I was kind of like, I already have a master's degree. Like I didn't really want to go back to school, but I felt so lost in terms of like, I really just didn't, I think I just really didn't want to be confined to like an office job. But like, you know, it's kind of hard because you're raised to think, you know, we're just sort of our society is like, okay, like you go to school, you get a job and then you just work at that job. And so I was kind of being pulled in a few different directions. But when I hiked the John Muir trail, um, you know, the whole time I was kind of going back and forth. Like I was talking to my friend that I was doing it with like, Oh, I don't know. Should I go to business school? And then by the end of the hike, like, you know, I sort of saw a transformation in my attitude. Like, there's no way I'm going back to school and like, I will do whatever it takes to like make my blog work and like make this like my next like career path. And so I kind of came up, fired me up a lot. And then I came home and just kind of like, I worked so hard, you know, people see pictures of, you know, you outside, they think that's all you do, but there's so much work that goes into building like a successful website, like especially a content based website where you have to post a couple of times a week. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about was that kind of, I don't know, like fantasy versus reality of doing anything that like looks really shiny online, right? Like, of course, right. your pictures are amazing. Right. But, and it's it's like, it's not a it's not a but, it's an and. Like the pictures are amazing, the adventures are amazing, and also it's a lot of work and it's not that sexy. Like for me, I mean, I'll just share right. my, my own experience of having nothing to, like I really didn't have expectations going into my backpacking trip because I had never done anything like that before. But right. I had seen so much, you know, I, I basically found my way to doing that through reading Carrot Quinn's book. Um, she's been on the show, she's amazing. And oh, okay. um, it... It was like, so I'd seen her pictures and like I had gone down the rabbit hole of all that kind of stuff. And like you always see like everyone's like smiling and wearing their outdoor gear and like it's so pretty. And I I vividly remember that for it was, I don't know, it was probably a little over halfway through the hike. Um, There was one night, first of all, I had like terrible foot pain and it was just like one long day after another. And I was hiking with a couple of awesome people that I had met. And so I pushed myself a little farther than I should have. And we got to this place where they were camping for the night and it was on some like exposed ridgetop. It was like 7 PM, which is way later than I, you know, usually was hiking. I was so exhausted. Mm -hmm. It was so windy. I like basically couldn't set up my tent. I was so tired. It was so rocky. There was like nowhere even really to put my tent. And they convinced me, you know, to cowboy camp and to sleep without a tent. And so, I mean, of course I got no sleep. The wind was just like barreling over me the whole night and everything was soaking wet, right? Like condensation. So I'm like freezing and soaking wet. And, you know, we get up in the morning. I don't even want to say wake up because I didn't sleep. Like we got up in the morning and there was this unbelievable sunrise, right? And so there's this picture that one of them took of me I'm in my sleeping bag, like with my little beanie on because I couldn't get out of my sleeping bag because I was so freezing and every single thing that I had brought with me was completely soaking wet from all the condensation. And the picture is beautiful, right? And it's so easy for someone to look at that and be like, oh my God, waking up and with the sunrise. And it was (laughs) amazing, but it was also 
awful, right? Like what it took to get to that. And like, I mean, that was, that was like the overarching thing for me of my trip. Like anytime someone asked how it was, I'm like, it was amazing and awful. Yeah. (laughs) And that like, and from everyone that I've talked to that's done similar stuff has had, you know, very similar things to say that it's really hard and awful, but worth it. Or, you know, that it's, it's just really easy to think, oh, I'm going to quit my job and like be a travel blogger and just, it's like, like, no, you're going to have to be like dealing with weird technical issues on your website and think like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, I have a lot of ups and downs and I think it's, I love what I do. And like, I don't know if this is what I'll be doing 10 years from now, but for right now I'm like super, super stoked on like the fact that I've been able to build a career out of being outside and, and traveling and doing what, what I love. But there's just, I mean, there's a lot of late nights in front of my computer. There's like, you know, and, and it's also like, sometimes I'm like, I just want to hike and I don't want to take any pictures. And, but there's like the constant pressure to be like posting about all this awesome stuff you're doing when like a lot of it, it's like, I'll go two weeks where I'm like in my hold up somewhere, you know, uh, like my eyesight's like going blurry because I've been staring at my computer so long. You know, I mean, I, I don't feel sorry for myself. I mean, everyone stares at computers, but you know, it's just not, it, it's a lot more work than it appears. Yeah. But I mean, I think that that's why these kinds of conversations are really valuable because I know for me, even the couple of people that I was able to come across in my pre-trip research that were willing to be honest about, you know, in a 12 hour day of hiking, like you have these like moments of it's, you know, you're breathless and it's glorious or whatever, but that's like sandwiched between like a lot of monotony and like slot, like it's really boring to walk for eight hours a day. Like, and it's, yeah. I, uh, you know, it's funny because one of the pictures I think I sent you was a picture of me in a tent, like holding, I think, I think that's one of the pictures I sent you. If not, I'll send it to yeah, you. Yeah, it but, is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first ever solo backpacking trip, which was in New Zealand. So last year I, I spent three months in New Zealand traveling around in a van and I thought this is the perfect opportunity for me to go backpacking by myself. I'd always been a little bit curious, but kind of scared, you know, especially like, I don't know, but for some reason there, I wasn't as scared because the people are all really nice and there's tons of travelers and there's no bears or wild animals or anything to, you know, like there's no wildlife predators. And, uh, so I thought this is the perfect opportunity and, uh, uh, I did not have a good time. I did not have a good time at all. (laughs) Like I wanted to like, love it. You know, I wanted to come back and be like, wow, that was so empowering. Like, this solo backpacking trip, like I can do anything by myself. But like, I honestly felt like so defeated. Like I got like a really late start and I, I didn't bring like my tradition, like the backpacking gear that I have like here, I didn't bring all of it because I wasn't sure if I was going to use it. And like, I was also car camping. So I kind of had to choose like what type of gear I was going to bring with me on that trip. And, um, so like I had the like regular pot from my van, which was like heavy and I had like canned food. I would never hike with canned food here in the States, but it was like, I just sort of kind of like threw my stuff together and went like, I didn't put a lot of planning into it. And I was supposed to be gone for like four days or something. And like within like the first two hours, I was like, I kept losing the trail. And I was like, I kept crossing this freezing cold river and it was like pretty deep in some places and kind of swift. And I was like, I don't think this is right. But I was kind of on like a, 
it was almost like a dirt road sort of. And I thought like, okay, like eventually this is going to turn into the trail. It's going to narrow, narrow up, you know, down and turn into the trail. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't on the trail. So I decided, okay, I was like, I think I like kept looking at my map. I was like, this doesn't seem right. So finally I realized I wasn't on the trail and I like hung a right through this pasture and I like was going to try to find the trail. I was like, the, the pasture was like one boggy, like field of cow shit. (laughs) And I was like knee deep in cow shit. I was like, Oh my God. And finally I found the trail. And then I realized why I had been on the road is because it was a lot easier to follow. Actually, like the trail was like not well maintained. It was a lot like a more up and down where the road had been flat. So finally, you know, like, I don't know, I finally got to camp. It was like almost getting dark before I found a good place to stop that was like above this muddy pasture and, uh, like made my, like made my can of food or whatever I had to eat. And like, then I was kind of like twiddling my thumbs. I took a couple of pictures with my tripod and I was like, wow, like, okay, like, what am I going to do? I think I brought a book maybe also probably why my pack was so heavy. (laughs) And, uh, I slept okay. I wasn't like that scared really. Although there was like, a, like I only saw like one other like little group that day and they were like in a car down the road. Like I could see them. So I wasn't like too far from where I, I, I like, I didn't think I even made it that far. So I was kind of like keeping an eye on them, but, but like, otherwise I was okay. And then in the morning, like there were sand flies, which are like New Zealand's version of mosquitoes, but they're like, the size of a gnat. And so they're really small and they bite you and it hurts, but it's almost like you don't even notice that they're on you until after it's too late. So like my tent is being like swarmed by sand flies and I don't even think I ate breakfast. I was just like, I just have to get out of here. And so I kept going. I was miserable. I was like, this is not fun. And like, I I passed a hut. So they have like a hut system. So I stopped at the hut and I ate lunch and I met this French guy and you know, he was like, he got there right after me and he had like, like started from the trailhead that morning or something. So he was hiking a lot faster than me and my back was hurting. I don't know. Sorry. I'm going on and on and on, but it was just like, it just wasn't fun. And so I kept going after the hut and finally I was like, I don't want to go any further. Like I was like, almost like I was just going to like show myself I could do it, but I was really not enjoying myself. And I was like, I don't, I don't care about proving anything. Like I just want to turn around. So I was like sitting on this rock and I was, uh, like stretching a little bit, took my pack off, ate a snack. And all of a sudden this like old man comes like, comes around the corner and he goes, he goes, you must be the queen of the mountains. And I was like, Oh, quite the opposite. In fact, <laughs> and he turns out he's 78. His name is miles and he is from Washington state. And, um, I think, I think it was Washington. Yeah. And, uh, he was like, well, I'm staying down back at that hut tonight. He's like, why don't you just st- store your bag in a bush? You know, like, we'll just hide your bag in a bush. He's like, you know, you could put, put some water in my day pack and let's hike up to the top of the pass. So at least you can get like the views that you came here for. Cause I, I hadn't even gotten to like where you could like see anything. I was like just in the same Valley the whole time. 
So he kind of convinced me. And so we went, we hiked together to the top and like got there. It was amazing. Like we took some pictures and I just thought, how cool am I? Like I'm hiking with this 78 year old man. And, uh, so then we, we turned around, I decided I would pitch my tent outside the hut cause I wanted to sleep in my tent, but I thought I'll go back to the hut. I'll eat dinner with this, with it, with miles and I'll just set up my tent and then we can all hike out. We were going to hike out together, uh, the next day. And so we're on the way back to the hut and all of a sudden these two young guys, Jake and Michael come catch up from behind us and we're talking and Jake is from Utah and, uh, worked at Alta, which is where I ski. So that was cool. And, uh, and then his friend, Michael, and then all of a sudden Jake, one of the young guys and the old guy, Miles, look at each other and they know each other. Jake's dad was one of Miles' like best friends back in the eighties. And I'm like, what, like, how did this just happen? Like we're in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. I run into these two strangers who just happened to, to know each other from this like other life. It was really cool. And so we, we all hiked back to the hut together and ate dinner. And then we all, the three of us hiked out the next morning. And it ended up being like a really cool experience despite like starting out as this like, you know, kind of sort of miserable, you know, slog through the <laughs> muddy pasture. And uh, like I still talk to those two guys that I met today. And that's that's pretty cool. So, you know, it's yeah, there there are like, you know, sometimes it's just, yeah, it's not all pretty picture. And, um, you know, I would have loved to come back and say like, Oh, I love solo backpacking. Like I want to do more of it. And I'm going to like, you know, be a super courageous woman and go do all this stuff by myself. But at the end, I just like, I would have loved to be able to write that on my blog, but instead it was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that again. <laughs> yeah. That, that's really interesting. I mean, like a couple things from that story, just like, I feel like you really get a sense of, I mean, I was kind of nodding along that it, like, it is a lot of, it's just like monotonous and it's like kind of a slog and you're like, I'm lost. And what am I doing? And like, <laughs> you know, like that's a very real aspect of it. Of course, then it's, again, you never know what's going to happen. Right. It's what, what I found on my trip was like, the day could turn around in one way or the other so quickly, right? Like you meet one incredibly fun person and then you hike together and like, it's the best day ever. Or, you know, you come across something that's so beautiful and you're like, how was I this miserable, you know, five hours ago or whatever, (laughs) which it was also good to keep in mind. But it's, it's interesting and kind of refreshing to hear you say that you didn't really enjoy the kind of solo backpacking thing, um, especially because I think that that is also something that people have kind of like a fetish about online, right? Like that it's so empowering. It's, I mean, and it is for sure. Um, and I definitely got something out of it, but I'm curious if you can, you know, maybe drill down into more specifically, like why, what, why don't you love that? Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I did feel like proud of myself you know, I said, wow, I spent a night in the woods, like in the middle of nowhere by myself. And like, I wasn't really scared. And that was cool. I was proud of myself for, for saying like, I can do this and I don't need like, I, if I want to do this, I can, and I don't need anyone else to do it with me. But at the same time, I was like, but I don't actually think I want to do this. Like if I wanted to do it, I felt like that experience told me that I could, but it just wasn't like, I'm a social person and like, I like being around other people. And I think like, I just kept thinking about my John Muir trail hike, which I did with my best friend. And the whole time we were laughing. And even when we were miserable, we were like, still 
like in like enjoying being out there. Like I actually, my John Muir hike was pretty smooth. Like we had great weather. We like, we're really lucky and like my back hurt here and there, but like for the most part, I felt pretty good most of the hike. And so I just kept thinking about that. Like, man, if, you know, Brad were here, I'd, we'd be laughing and like having the best time. But instead I'm just like, kind of like, I don't know, I was just grumpy. And I felt like, you know, when the going gets tough and you're by yourself, you have no one to help distract you from Mm -hmm. that misery. You know, it's like, it's really hard to get, you're in your head and it's hard to get out of it and change your attitude about like, well, actually the scenery is really pretty, you know, or like just something to get your mind off the pain in your neck or your feet or whatever. And, you know, when you're with someone else, you're like, wow, my back really hurts. But, you know, like you're cracking jokes back and forth or whatever. And it just it's just such a different experience. And like for some people like who are more introvert, introverted, I guess, or I I don't know, like certain personalities, people who like spending a lot of time alone, which, you know, I'm comfortable by myself and you know, I went to New Zealand by myself, but I was rarely by myself. You know, I was meeting new people every day, every night when I showed up at my new campground, you know, I was meeting new people. So I don't know. It was just, it was a good test for me to like, sort of like you really are truly alone, like, and you have to rely solely on yourself and like no one, there's no one to like change the course of like your attitude or your day or you know, anything. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was like, I don't know, maybe I should try it again. (laughs) No, I mean, but I think, I think it is interesting. And I mean, you can try it again, or you can decide not to or whatever. Like there's no right or wrong answer to anything. It's just like for me, and just looking at my, uh, my experience, I thought going into it that I was very comfortable being alone. I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, sure. I like you know, socializing with other people. I like other people, but I've never minded being alone or just like being mm-hmm. in my own company. And so I didn't think that that was going to be as much of an issue as it was. And the couple of things that came up for me because, I mean, and maybe this is like very specific to like the, the actually the specific hike that I did, right? Because I did the Oregon section of the PCT in August, which like I was, the only people I was meeting basically were through hikers, right? right. So, and like the relatively fast through hikers given the timing of when I was in Oregon and when they were in Oregon. And so I was meeting all of these really great people, but they, I mean, they'd been hiking together. I mean, this was August and they'd been hiking together since March or April, right? Or for the most part. And um, so not only were they way more experienced than me, so because I was going through not only was it the first couple days of a hike, but it was the first couple days of my first hike, right? So like the blisters and the like, how far should I go in a day? And just like all the fears and all the things that come up when you're new and when everyone that you're surrounded by is really seasoned, like that was an interesting thing. And also Mm -hmm. when I would meet people and they were so nice, but they were all, you know, in much better hiking shape than me. So, you know, I'm hiking 17 miles and they're hiking 30. I meet people and then I never see them again. So it was this really interesting, like... I almost felt more lonely. Like if I would have actually been, let's say like the only one, if I didn't see anyone for days, I think that I would have been 
happier, right? Or like felt less mm-hmm. lonely, but it was almost like I felt extra lonely because I was surrounded by people, but I couldn't really relate to any of them because they yeah. couldn't really remember back like, oh yeah, four months ago when I used to get blisters or, you know, whatever that type right. of stuff. Right. So yeah, the like other people element of it is really interesting. Like, I think that was for me, one of the hardest parts was like my expectations just were not, I didn't know to expect that that was what was going to happen. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So for you, for the John Muir Trail, um, it sounds like that was your first long backpacking trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd done one five day trip before, but that was it. So um, any uh, memorable lessons that you learned that came out of that? Um, oh, man. It's been a while now. I I wrote a post about like some of the things I learned like right when I got back. But (laughs) one of the funniest things, this is funny, actually. Uh, (laughs) I am like not a good food sharer. I'm also an only child and like I don't like to share my food, really. (laughs) And uh, me and my friend, like we split our dinner every night. Like we ate right out of the bag. So it was like you take a few bites. I take a few bites. You take a few bites. And then I'd watch him take his bites and they were way bigger than mine. And I was like, I'm going to starve. You know, I'm not going to get enough because he's like taking bigger bites than me. I felt like I had to eat faster. And I mean, it's not like a valuable life lesson, but I think in some ways it like kind of instilled, well, I'm still not a great food share, but I'm a little bit better. <laughs> or that you have to learn that you need to carry your own food and like You're not right. have to share. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Next, I think next time I'm like, I don't know if I would do it that way again. But, you know, it was easy for planning because I actually did all the, pl- like, I planned everything. He kind of just, like, he he was, like, amazing company. But he's, my friend Brad, who I did it with, is not the planner at in our friendship. So I basically did all the food shopping and planning. And he, he was like, whatever, I'm fine with whatever. So I was like, this is easy easy way to do it. And, but, uh, yeah, so. And yeah, I mean, I think coming, coming back from that, I was like, wow, I spent 22 days like hiking, like that's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, the first day was pretty hard. I I didn't really train very well. Like I didn't train much for the hike. And, you know, the first day, like we didn't start, um, in Yosemite Valley. We started at a different trailhead, but basically you meet up like at mile eight or something. Um, but the first day was still like all uphill. I wasn't like used to the altitude because I was living in Vegas and, um, it was hard. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I am really unprepared for this, but it was like pretty amazing to see how quick my body transformed. I mean, I think like by day five, I was feeling like pretty strong and capable. And like by the end we were just like cruising up the passes and it like it was awesome. I was like, wow, like I really like need to make sure that like I came home being like, I want to like, how am I going to keep this up? You know, it's, I mean, it's impossible, right? You can't like possibly exercise that much in your normal life. But, you know, it definitely made me know that that's like an important part of like where I get happiness from. Like I am happy when I'm outside and I'm, you know, it, it brings me like, it's, it's like, good for my mind. It's good for my body. And, um, I was just like, I need to do more of this. And, you know, it's like that. And like I said, that's when I sort of decided like, there's no way I'm going back to like a normal office job. So, 
I mean, that was a pretty big lesson. Yeah. So what was your, because you mentioned doing um, with the Blonde Abroad, right? The travel blogging kind of mentorship situation. So two things. I'm curious, like the most useful thing that you learned from that, from her, and Mm -hmm. then kind of what your vision was for what you wanted to create. Sure. So, um, my mentorship with her was awesome. Like she's really smart and, um, obviously created like a, a really successful brand and business for herself. And I would say that like, yeah, the, the business and just the branding, I mean, I really didn't know anything about blogging. I mean, literally nothing. Like I had blogged like during, uh, like when I was in Indonesia and some, like it wasn't, it was travel pod, which probably doesn't even exist anymore. I don't know, but you know, it was mostly just for like family and friends, but like literally I knew not, I like, I didn't use Instagram. Like I didn't tweet. I didn't use Pinterest. Like I didn't do any of it. So she really taught me, like she gave me the foundation to get started and help me like prioritize when you're, you know, it's like, Oh my God, like what should I focus on learning next? You know? Cause when you feel like you're lacking, so many of the essential skills, it's hard to know like where to focus your energy and what's most important. So she kind of helped steer me in the right direction. And I think I avoided a lot of mistakes and like a lot of, I I didn't waste as much time when I was getting started as if I would have doing it without her. Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful. I mean, we still chat every once in a while and you know, her blog is like, grown even more since, you know, a lot since we worked together. And, um, so yeah, that was really, really cool. And then, um, just in terms of my vision. So like kind of going back to what we first were talking about, like when I was in DC and, you know, like, and I didn't grow up camping, I didn't grow up hiking. Like I didn't really like have a lot of experience. I didn't know much about gear and, you know, I started kind of like looking at a lot of these online media outlets, like, and all I saw was extreme sports and like extreme athletes getting all the attention, which is awesome. It's inspiring in in some ways, but it's also like, well, I can, I'm never going to do that. Like, you know, it's like you see, I just felt like, you know, okay, like, one, I'm never going to be able to do that. And two, like, if that's the gear they're using, like, is that the right gear for me? Like, I don't know if I need that, you know, like, and yeah. And I just like, I felt like, you know, and there wasn't really like a resource that I found, like that I really loved for like finding cool places to go and that I like really connected with. And so I wanted to kind of create a website that was, tailored towards normal people who wanted to spend more time outside. And, you know, whether that be like, you know, people who only have time on the weekends or people who are, you know, have a little bit more flexibility. Like I wanted to appeal to both. And like, I wanted to sort of break down the barriers that intimidate people from getting into the outdoors. Like I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't always in like very good shape, like in college, like I hardly ever, I I never went to the gym. I like worked at a bar for a year after college, like put on a a few extra pounds. Like I was not in good shape. And I felt like that 
prevented me from like wanting to get started because one, I knew it was going to be hard. Second, I was like, I, I fear, I feared being embarrassed. Like I felt like if I go with my friends who are in better shape than me, I'm going to be embarrassed that I can't keep up or that I'm out of breath and huffing and puffing while they're just cruising up the hill. And so like I had a lot of, a lot of those fears, but then also just like, I didn't even really know what I was doing. And so I wanted to kind of show people that like, you know, I was 30 when I started my blog. So like, you know, I got a pretty late start and I wanted to show people like, Hey, it's never too late to start just because you're, you know, a little bit later discovering the outdoors doesn't mean that you can't like go do it. And, you know, whatever level you're comfortable at, is like, is fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be, you know, climbing a mountain. You can be going on like a local trail, like in your, in your neighborhood, you know, or like a path in, you know, in your neighborhood or, you know, it's like start small and like work your way up. But like, you know, get like, I, I try to like help people get a little bit out of their comfort zone, but not so far that they're like turned off by it. You know, it's like, totally push yourself in small increments. And, and then the other sort of like side of my blog was, so my background is in environmental management and my whole graduate program was focused on learning how to communicate complex scientific problems and ideas and solutions to normal people, whether that be the public stakeholders, policymakers, you know, whoever might be involved taking that science and breaking it down in a way that people could understand. And so I try to use the same skills that I learned in school to like teaching people about the outdoors because it's like you overwhelm them with information or it's too technical and they're going to be like, oh, it's too much. It's too much. (laughs) So it's like I want people to have just the right amount of information. So it's enough that they can confidently plan, but not so much that they're like overwhelmed with the level of detail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much, I love so much of what you said that this, it makes me almost think about how easy it is, especially in the realm of anything that's like nature or outdoor or adventure related to feel like it has to be all or nothing. It had like the only value is something like super extreme, right? Like take 22 mm-hmm. days and go hike the John Muir trail or do this, right. or you have to quit your job and do whatever, because those are the types of stories that like they're sexier. So they get publicized more. Or like you said, you know, you were coming across, you know, the people who were doing extreme sports, right? Or running ultra marathons or, you know, doing this kind of crazy rock climbing or cliff diving or whatever. And like, that's great. Good for those people for sure. But that's, it's so many steps beyond where I'm at. Or what if I don't want to quit my entire life to do the outdoors and I want to just do it on the weekend or whatever. So like, I think that there's something that's really important and refreshing about being like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It did like right. that it's worthwhile to spend an afternoon doing something. And also I, you know, er, you said earlier in the conversation, um, you know, when you were in Vegas, uh, about, well, I didn't have a ton of money to go do stuff internationally and, oh wait, there's so much beauty and so many incredible adventures that I can have like essentially in my backyard. I think that's mm-hmm. something else too, that, you know, while international travel is great and important, right. And exposure right. to other people in different ways of life and that kind of stuff. I do think that it's easy to, to tell ourselves this like false story that the only way to have an adventure is, well, I have to go to Bali or I have to go to New Zealand or I have to, when like 
and I, I feel this way too, even one of the big reasons that my husband and I moved to to Bend to Oregon was because of the easy access to so much nature. And even still, like I wind up taking that for granted and thinking, oh, if I'm going to have an adventure, I have to go X, Y, Z other place. Like, wait, there's incredible stuff in Oregon that's like basically free, right? So, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like, and that's why hiking is so awesome. It's like really all you need is like shoes and like some sort of day pack. You know, it's like you don't need anything expensive to go hiking. It's it's a pretty low barrier to entry sport. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I also, something else that came up for me when I was on my hike, and I'm interested if this has been your experience too, was people who are, I almost got the feeling we're trying to like be the best at being outdoors, like competitive <laughs> yeah. outdoorsing, right? Like how I'll the people who you, your bag way. <laughs> exactly. The people who you meet. And like, that's the first question is like, well, what's the base weight of your pack or what's this? Right. Or like, even sometimes here in like Bend, there's a lot of like really hardcore outdoorsy people of, right. oh, you went hiking? Oh, where did you go? Or what did you summit? Or what did you like? I don't know. I right. just like walked around on a trail for an hour. Like, it doesn't right. have to be a competition. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I mean, definitely. There was a lot of talk about like, how much is your bag way or, you know, kind of like, which like, what does it matter? Like I didn't weigh my gear. Like I like literally, I mean, I did not go the ultralight route. I also didn't go like super heavy. Like I was fine, you know? And, uh, yeah, but you'd see people, you know, I mean, it's, that's awesome. Like I wish I could be that minimal <laughs> when I would go backpacking, but uh, you know, you, every time you go, you sort of learn what you can cut out, what you're using, what you're not. But like, you know, the first time you do a big trip like that, how are you supposed to know? You know, yeah. it's all based on experience. And I, I've, I'm not like the kind of person who's going to get a scale out and start weighing ounces of my stuff. I just That's don't, funny because I, I definitely did because I was <laughs> concerned that that would be like the reason that I wouldn't finish was if my bag was too heavy. Right. I think I learned it would have been better for me to, to be a little bit more <laughs> cognizant of it actually. Like, you know, w- once I was on the hike, I was like, damn, my bag is heavy, <laughs> but you know, I survived. <laughs> so in the, right. That's the other thing too, that like, it's so easy to feel like there's only one right way to do something. And if I don't right. pick like the best sleeping bag that I'm not going to be able to do this, right. Like being yep. able to just take the pressure off a little bit and be like, well, sure. Do research, you know, figure out what you can afford. That's going to be the best fit for your budget and your needs yep. right now. And then just like try, right. Like, right. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious over, you know, from when you kind of started the blog to now, a couple things. One, what you found has worked for you to either grow your audience or to meet whatever kind of your specific metrics or whatever your goals are. And I'm also sure. curious on the evolution of um, like where money comes from and how yeah. it makes you money now. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah. So as far as my audience goes, I mean, it's been pretty organic. Like I don't really spend, I advertise a little bit on Facebook, but really minimally. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just like, I put a lot of work into like making sure I'm setting the right keywords in my posts. And I actually think my John Muir posts helps like really grow my audience from the get go because you know, it was only like three years ago, but so many more people are blogging now. And now there's like a lot of information available online about the John Muir Trail. But when I did it, there, there wasn't. And I came back and I immediately wrote like really good posts about resupply, about gear, about, you know, like some of my favorite campsites, you know, I kind of like how to get permits. And I set my keywords right. And I ranked really well in Google for like a lot of my John Muir posts and a ton of people are hiking it now. 
So I definitely think that like helped kickstart sort of how people discovered me when I was first starting and didn't really have a social following. Um, and then, yeah, just like, you know, I try to post twice a week. It doesn't always happen, but, um, you know, I, I try and, uh, so just, yeah, writing content that's helpful for other people. So, you know, it's like, I, I try to call it, I call it inspiration and information with a, a little bit of personality. So it's like, you know, my blog posts aren't super personal. They're not like, you know, occasionally I'll write about my experience, like my experience, but it's more like showcasing something that I did and telling p- other people how they can do it too. And I think, you know, it's, it's really about writing information that's helpful for people and that keeps them coming back. You know, they get ideas from coming to my blog and they said, well, that trip was really good. We should come back, you know, go see what other trips she's written about, you know, and so I think it's really just about writing quality like content that helps people. But in terms of my social following, that's been, you know, I mean, it's hard because like there's just a ton of competition and, you know, I, as a blogger, I'm blogging. I have to, I also have to take good photos. Now I'm starting to do video. It's just a lot of skills that I have to be really good at if I want to like excel in all different areas of social media and blogging. And it's really hard to kind of like sort of master all those different areas. And, um, but you know, I just do my best and I just try to be myself and, you know, like I engage my audience. I try to respond to comments as, as well as I can and emails and, um, my newsletter has been a really good way to connect with my audience. So I send a newsletter out every couple of weeks or once a month. And, um, I get a little bit more sort of personal about my whereabouts and exactly what I'm up to in that. And so just trying to kind of be everywhere. <laughs> to, yeah, you know, well, but I mean, I just to like interrupt really quick, I love what you sure. said about being able to kind of keep up with this and continue to grow this. It does involve like skill building. Again, it's, I think it's really easy to have the misconception that like, Oh, it must be nice to just like post a pretty picture. And like, that's your job. Right. right? But right, it's right. okay. Well, photography is a skill and videography is a skill and these types right. of things. And like, social media stuff, it it doesn't just happen by accident. I mean, I guess maybe it does to one out of however many thousand people that like, oh, oopsie, I got super popular overnight. But I mean, I think that's very, very, very rare. And so yeah. I really, I don't know, I just really appreciate not just on the money front, but in general, kind of your honesty about the fact that it's awesome. And you're so glad that you're doing it and that this job is a good fit for you. But like any other job, right? Or anything else that someone's doing for money or even like anything they're just doing for the love of it. You don't love it all the time. It's frustrating. You have to identify, oh, these are the skills that are weaknesses for me. Let me figure out ways Mm -hmm. to learn more about it. That like, it's more than just like, oh my God, like I went to this place. Like here's a picture. (laughs) Right. Totally. And you know, it's like, I, I struggle a little bit. Like my photography could be better. Like I could put more work into it. And I know that like, like, (laughs) you know, my audience, if I, if I put a little bit more work into my photography, my Instagram would grow faster. But the fact is, is like, I enjoy the activity more than I enjoy taking the photos. Like I like, like I like going skiing a lot more than I like taking photos while I'm skiing. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not skiing for the photo I'm skiing because I'm having fun. And then the photo is just something I try to do while I'm out there, you know, as an example, or like, I go hiking, like I, I, I'm going hiking because I like hike, hiking. I'm not going for the photo op, 
you know, and so I think what, what makes photographers who are really good, talented photographers is that they're, they're going after the shot, you know, and I don't really think like that. And, you know, it's like, I, I struggle with it a little bit mentally because I'm like, Oh, if I just took more pictures or like put a little bit more effort into like the way I compose things or taking more time, like my Instagram would be better, but I just, you know, it's hard to like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of think about all those things all the time, you know, and then, cause the blog itself is a ton of work, you know, all the writing and formatting and, you know, and, go, and so now transitioning to like the money question, you know, part of being a successful blogger is also like the business side, right. Which is a full-time job in itself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been really fortunate. I think, um, I'm like, it, like I said, the first year was like pretty tough, like didn't really make much money. The second year things started to grow, um, grow a lot more. So I first started by like, you know, I published gear lists, which are stuff that I'm really using in real life. And, you know, I link to products on REI or backcountry or Amazon or whatever that I'm actually using. And if I like it, I say, here's the link if you want to buy it, you know, and mm-hmm. then. So there are buys, affiliate links. They're affiliate links. Yeah. So if I, if someone goes and buys something from that retailer, I get commission. You know, that is, is just one way bloggers make money. It is hard because you have to have a lot of traffic in order to be, and a lot of click throughs in order to get enough to sustain on. Um, but I've been pretty lucky with my affiliate links and done pretty well with them. So that's been, um, you know, kind of like my bread and butter until recently, um, I decided to install some banner ads and I don't like them. I don't like the way they look. I, I'm annoyed by them, but they're really lucrative. And as a blogger who I give away my content for free, it's definitely like a way to help sustain me and make it more, um, more viable, you know, is something that I can actually do. And, um, like now that I've installed the, those banner ads, I've been able to afford, uh, hiring a couple of employees who are now helping me get more content out and like helping me do some pitching that I need to be doing in order to keep, you know, the business side of things going. And so while I don't like those banner ads, they're sort of like a necessary, thing for me at this point, you know, well, I mean, and, money has to come from somewhere. Like this is right. something that comes up on the show a lot. I mean, I've talked really openly about kind of my process of, you know, how to monetize the podcast, like how to, you know, and I chose not to do, I experimented with sponsors basically like <laughs> for two seasons, the two brands that I felt comfortable, like, let me recommend this like with my whole life. And then I'm like, well, I'm mm-hmm. out of those brands. There's no one else that I love this much. So this probably isn't the right fit for me. And choosing right. to do like a, I use Patreon. It's, you know, a kind of crowdfunding listener supported model mm-hmm. whatever is I mean it's awesome and it's like integrity wise the great a great fit for me but I had to get comfortable being like wait no money does have to come from somewhere even if people don't want to talk about that and right. it costs money to make stuff and it takes time to make stuff and any podcast basically for example and blog similarly like it's it's usually one of three things like it's it's some kind of advertising right or sponsorship like what you're talking about money comes from that way or the content they're creating is essentially a form of marketing for a paid offering right like they're right. hoping to get clients or get whatever so, you know, they're not necessarily making money on the blog or the podcast, but it's funneling people towards something that's going to make them money or mm-hmm. 
people are directly paying for content, right? Which is like what I do. I mean, the podcast is free, obviously, but people who love the show and want to support the show, they get like a ridiculous amount of bonus stuff and all of that. And like even having this conversation publicly, I feel like has been really helpful and is very like aligned with what I stand for that. No, we need to talk about this kind of stuff because people just expect amazing content to be free, right? Like, oh, you put so much work into this site. And I mean, I've read through, I thought about doing the John Muir trail and your posts is funny, were the ones that came up and they're incredibly detailed, especially about the permitting, the permit process, right? Which is Mm -hmm. a challenge. And like, that's incredibly good information that took you a long time to do. So why should that just be everything's free forever, right? Like you have to pay for stuff. Like good work takes time. If we want more good work, we have to pay money for it or be open to being advertised to. Right. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of value in like having conversations that like we can't just expect art of all forms to be free. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, yeah. In an ideal world, like I wouldn't have ads like on my, on my site. I don't like, I, like I said, I don't like them, but I did a reader poll at the beginning of the year. And so like, I'm, I'm relaunching my website and I thought like, okay, like let's experiment with these banner ads before I launch the new version of my site. Let's see how it affects my traffic, see if I get some negative feedback. And then I can decide if I want to include them when I, you know, relaunch. And I did a reader poll and like people didn't really complain about them. And, you know, I had a couple people that were like, the ads are really annoying, get rid of them. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I would love to get rid of them. Like maybe I should put a PayPal button on my site or something, you know, if people want to donate that way and then I wouldn't have to have as many. Um, but, you know, I also... Like, you know, I feel like you just exit out, you know, it's like basically like the way the ad network that I'm part of works is you get paid per impression. So like people don't even have to click on them. They just have to scroll past them. And so I think it's a pretty minimal inconvenience, um, you know, in exchange for what people are getting when they come to my site, which is a lot of helpful information. Yeah, totally. No, I agree. I mean, and that's why I find it interesting to hear about this stuff because this is this is always like any kind of thing that someone is doing that's their job that's not like the traditional, I go to an office and work for someone else. Like mm-hmm. I just find that everyone's so curious about money. I'm so curious. I want to know everything about where everyone else's money comes from. So I yeah, appreciate totally. your willingness to be honest about it. Yeah, and then, yeah, just a couple other ways. So like, you know, I do work occasionally with brands like on a sponsorship basis, but I found that it's pretty hard. That That's a hard way to make your money because you're constantly pitching brands that are constantly telling you they don't have a budget and oh, we'll give you a free backpack, but we don't have a budget. And it's like, well, I'm not going to like promote your backpack on all my social media channels that I've worked really hard to, you know, build and like engage a loyal following and like, you know, that's, it's advertising. And if you don't have a budget for it, then like, that's not an equal partnership. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I don't, I, I do some, if it's a brand that I'm like really excited to work with, like, um, I did a campaign with the North face. Like I, so I just went to Everest base camp, um, in October. And actually that was the first group tour I've offered through my blog. So I offered the trip. Up, like I said, I'm going to Everest Base Camp. Come with me, and so eight people signed up. We all hiked to Everest Base Camp together. It was that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, and so I did a little work with the North Face while I was on that trip. So I made, you know, um, a series of YouTube videos, and they hooked me up with a bunch of gear, and you know, I and you know they paid me too, and I did a packing list on YouTube, like a packing list on YouTube where I showed the gear that they gave me, but it was gear that I actually used and and loved on my trip. So I don't feel, you know, it's like 
I don't feel bad recommending it, but I like to, I have to be really careful because, you know, it's sort of like if I'm recommending products because I'm getting paid to do it and then the product's actually not very good and then my readers go buy it, they're like, why did you tell us to buy this? This sucks. And then next time I write about a product, they're not going to believe me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have really have to be careful about my integrity and how I'm perceived, you know, when I work with sponsors. So I'm pretty particular and I try to be, you know, really cognizant of that. So it's, that's like not my preferred, um, it's, that's not like my biggest source of income, but you know, if it's the right, if it's the right fit, like you said on your podcast, like if it's the right fit, then it, then that's something I consider. And then, um, I've also done like a little bit of blog mentorship. So, um, I worked with a girl, uh, named Kate. She has a blog called the road to adventure. She, uh, lives in a Winnebago by herself and she's traveling the country, visiting all the national parks. So I did, um, a one-on-one mentorship with her. So that's something I'm sort of exploring as an, as a, a side sort of way to make a little extra money. And, um, I do a little bit of image licensing, but not that much. And occasionally I'll do like freelance writing for another website, but kind of depends on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's how awesome. much they're paying. Because uh, a lot of these freelance jobs don't don't pay that much. And then I'm like, you know what, I'd be better off just publishing this on my own website. So, you know, it's like, this is like good content. And if I can get traffic from it, then maybe I should just do that instead. Yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) I agree with that. I mean, and especially as you're like relaunching the site and, you know, building it to another level. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, making money as a blogger, it really is just like having a bunch of different places that money is coming in. And when they all add up, it's substantial enough to sustain. Like, you know, I don't make enough just off my affiliate links or just off my banner ads, but when you combine them all together, it's, it's pretty okay but it took, you know, three years for me to get here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're now feeling like pretty comfortable. And I think like, you know, I think this year, like I probably am going to make more, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant to say it cause it may not happen, but my goal is to make more this year than I made in my last job. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. that, and, but again, that it doesn't happen overnight. Right. So I think right, that's, no, no it's, it's, it's yeah. awesome. I mean, people are like, I want to, I want to start a blog and like, I want to travel. I'm like, that's awesome. That like, you, you definitely like need to be, I didn't think it was going to take this long. <laughs> you know, I thought like, oh, a year and I'll be like, you know, making like, you know, a decent living. Like, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's really competitive and, but it, it totally can be done. You just have to find a niche that like you're really passionate about and you have to stick with that. You know, it's like, I I listen to the smart passive income podcast a lot and the way that people like he interviews the way people make money on the internet is amazing. It's like people are writing blogs about karate uniforms and like making a full-time living from it. You're like, what? That's crazy. But you know, it's like you just, you find a niche that works for you and it's, it's totally possible. You just have to like be really dedicated to it and, you know, willing to sort of, you know, sit at your computer for really long hours and work a lot, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? So, but it's totally, it's been totally worth it for me. I mean, it was the best decision I've ever made. And like, I definitely have no regrets (laughs) in terms of like starting this new path. So I'm curious then what's next for you? Any like adventures or what are you planning or what does this year hold for you? 
Yeah. So, um, this year I am offering two group tours. So one is in May. Um, I'm doing like a Southern Utah hiking and camping tour. And then I'm doing a 10 day backpacking trip in Alaska. That's also a group tour that I'm offering to my readers. So, uh, I'm super excited for those. I've never been to Alaska. I've been to Alaska once. I went to Juneau and it was in February. So I didn't really get like the, you know, the Alaska experience that I am going to get this summer and that I'm really excited for. And then, um, I'll be driving my van. So I have a sprinter van that I'll be driving up to Alaska. I'm going to take a little solo road trip probably for like five weeks. I'm going to take five weeks to get up there and go check out Canada and, you know, like some places I've never been to before. So that's pretty exciting. And then, um, yeah, I don't really know after that. I, I'm like, I have some big ideas. A lot needs to sort of happen for some of them to come together, but, um, just kind of going to take the next six months and see how it goes. And then. Yeah. So with the, (laughs) with the van, with the sprinter van, is your plan to live in that full time or like, what's the kind of role that the van plays? (laughs) Yeah. So that was my plan. Um, I got the van last summer. I took um, some big trips in it, which was awesome. And then I went abroad for a bit. And then I came back and it was winter, pretty much. And I was I was having quite a few problems with the interior of my van and the build. So the company that did it made some mistakes that I'm now like dealing with. <laughs> and so I went down to California for like a month and uh, worked on it there where the weather was a little bit warmer <laughs> and my dad lives there. So he helped me a lot, which was awesome. Cause you know, it was a lot of the stuff that I, you know, needed to be taught how to do, you know, like I needed a mentor to like, be like, this is how you do this. <laughs> so, um, and I just didn't have like the right tools or anything to fix a lot of the things that needed to be fixed. And, um, so it's in a pretty good place now, but I, um, I really wanted to learn how to ski. Like I moved to Utah like a year and a half ago and, um, I started skiing last winter and I had a lot of fun doing it. And so this winter I was like, I'm going to like fully commit myself to skiing all winter and like, I'm going to get really good. (laughs) And, um, that's what I've been doing. So I'm here in Salt Lake. Um, my boyfriend lives here, so I'm staying with him while I'm skiing and, uh, just kind of like fully devoting myself to becoming like a competent skier and I'm having a blast doing it and working on my website. And once ski season's over, then I'll be back in the van full time. Um, you know, I'm sort of like, I love the van. It's a little bit more work than I expected. (laughs) So, you know, I thought like, okay, I'm going to buy this van I'm going to pay someone to build it out for me and then like it's going to be ready to go. But that hasn't really been how it how it's gone. So I'm I'm sort of not sure if like the Sprinter is going to be like my vehicle of, of you know, choice forever. But I'm going to like, you know, do it for a bit and see how it goes this summer and then kind of decide, you know, whether I really like you know, maybe something a little more simple would be a better fit for my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think I like 
wanted something that was going to be like fully self-contained and it, and it is, and it's awesome, but it's also like all that, like having a bathroom in a van is a lot more, it makes it a lot more complicated in terms of the maintenance. And those were just things that I didn't really quite understand. And I wish I would have. Um, I learned well, you don't know until you know, right? It's like the, you, right. you, you didn't know that you didn't want to do long solo backpacking trips until you right. tried it and realized it wasn't a good fit. So. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the summer again. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go down to the Overland Expo in May, which is this big like adventure vehicle gathering and trade show in Flagstaff. So I'm going down to that and I'm going to like learn a bunch and kind of like, you know, get some ideas for either my sprinter or, you know, if I decided to go another direction down the road, um, you know, luckily my van is awesome. So I'm, I am stoked about it. It's just been a, a lot of ups and downs and, you know, learning a lot about vans. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> so, and, you know, I think like people get a van, get vans to like have more freedom. And I think that the lesson that I've learned is like, a van can give you more freedom, but like a comp, a complicated van is not necessarily like a complicated van isn't going to give you the same freedom as like something that's a little bit more simple, you mm-hmm. know, cause that van's maintenance, just like a house would be or anything else. And so, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I, that's just something that I'm, I'm learning and trying to figure out and navigate, but sure. So another question or something that was on my mind when you were talking before, um, about kind of your earlier career and education, like in the world of conservation or whatever Mm -hmm. kind of words you want to use, obviously that's not specifically what you're doing now, but I'm curious how, how you think about that currently or how you're practicing it or how that shows or anything you want to kind of share around that. Cause I think that's something that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, uh, it's been a little bit interesting in terms of like my thought process has sort of evolved a little bit on like, you know, conservation and public lands issues. And I think like, you know, I, I had to take a little, when I first left my job, I felt like I needed a little break from politics in general. And I, I feel like I kind of just like shut that part of my mind off for a while, which was good, but also like, you know, not good. (laughs) And, uh, but you know, I sort of thought like, okay, like, you know, I was an environmental advocate in DC and there's other ways to be an environmental advocate. And like, I, I thought like, okay, like getting people to spend more time outside is going to help create new environmental advocates because you don't really care about what you don't know about, right? Like if you don't know anything about the outdoors, why are you going to care about public lands? Sure. You've never, if you never use them, why do you care? Like, you know, uh, and so I thought like, okay, like I'm going to inspire people to get outside and that's going to like create more people that care about saving the environment. And so that was sort of like my, thought process, like the first year that I started or maybe a year and a half. Um, and now that the political climate and public lands issues are becoming a lot more in the forefront with, you know, just all the things that are going on. And like, I live, you know, in Utah, we just got a new national monument. They're talking about, 
you know, possibly reversing it, reversing that designation and things like that. It's like, I want to start using my voice in a lot more powerful and like effective way. And so far, like when I post on social and, you know, try to share articles that I find helpful, like it's been pretty well received. And I was a little bit nervous about it because I don't want my blog to become political. You know, I want it to be a place that people come to like learn about the outdoors, not to get in fights about politics, you know? And, um, but I also thought like, okay, if you like the outdoors and you, you need to understand these issues. Right. And so I'm trying to like use my voice on, on social and on my blog to educate people about the facts in a way that, isn't polarizing. And it's hard to do because, you know, I mean, we don't think like, you know, it's like public land shouldn't be polarizing, but they are in some ways. And so how can you get people to come together and to see eye to eye? And, you know, like, you know, I've seen some articles recently that like, you know, in some like outdoor media outlets. Like I saw one article that like portrayed President Trump as the bad guy in Silence of the Lambs. It was like a cartoon, but it was all about our public lands issues. It was like about all the stuff, all, all like about Trump's stance on public lands issues. And, but that was the image at the very top. And I thought, you know, this is, this is really ineffective because you know, there there might be people out there who voted for him that uh, might actually care about public lands, or maybe they just don't know anything about them. They click on that article, they see that picture, and they're instantly turned off, right? Because they, they feel alienated and judged for, you know, that decision that they made to vote for him, even though the reason they voted for him may have nothing to do with public lands, right? But like, you're not going to, you're not going to bring someone to understand those issues when you're like instantly, you know, sort of criticizing them or, you know, criti- you know, it's, it's just like with that sort of rhetoric, I guess. And so I want to like totally move away from that and like not have it be, you know, about politics, but just about the issues and why our public lands are important and what they offer and why they contribute to our economy and trying to get people who may not understand those issues to like see a different, to, to understand them better. And if they understand them better, then maybe they'll, you know, want to become more active in helping save them. So. I, I think that's wonderful. I also think that you're, you know, I understand sometimes the hesitation to take a strong stand on something, right? But I mm-hmm. think, and in the end, I mean, and obviously it sounds like you're doing it in a way that's in alignment for you and, you know, intentional, which is awesome and is the only way you're going to feel good about it. But I respect when people take stands on things like this, right? Like, I think that it only helps you in like the long term. And yeah. it also, like you said, like you're 
readers are there because this is something that they care about, right? So I think that you're in a unique position given your educational background, you know, your career evolution in history, like your particular skill sets, like you said, taking complex information, especially of maybe a scientific nature, right? And boiling it down, like that it's almost, it would be like a waste not to do it, right? You worked so hard to get those skills and you're passionate about these things. So you do have an opportunity to reach people that maybe others in the outdoor community that don't have that background don't right. have right so like I could totally see that being awesome right being yeah, able no, to and, that. and that's you know I I'm definitely like I'm just trying I'm I'm definitely taking a more vocal stance it's just like in my own voice yeah absolutely know? and um yeah so I'm excited you know I'd like I'd love to partner with some like nonprofits and you know kind of like get my feet on the ground out there and do some do some good work I'm so I'm just looking for like the right groups to align with. And, um, you know, I wrote a post recently kind of like just it was like, you know, the top environmental groups that you should know this year. And, you know, just trying to like sort of get the word out about all these different groups that are doing really good work. And if you want to get involved like that, that's like an easy way to like get your intro to like working in environmental advocacy is like, here's a bunch of groups that are working on different issues, find the issue that matters to you and like get involved with these groups. And so I'm just gonna like, yeah, I'm, I definitely have some plans for this year. And they're just still in the works about, you know, trying to trying to do more. But first, I'm just trying to like, I want to start a conservation series on my blog that kind of like I'm working on a post now, like why outdoor enthusiasts should care about climate change and kind of talking about, you know, if you like hiking, this is why you should care. If you like scuba diving, this is why you should care. If you like skiing, this is why you should care. And I think like trying to sort of hone in on like how it's going to affect us as individuals, not just like our, our big planet, I think, you know, and like tuning into that is important. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I love it. I'm excited to read these and see what you do this year. Um, So the last thing that I wanted to ask you before we start to wrap up, um, I heard you say somewhere, or I think I probably read it on your site, um, something that really stuck with me. You said something like, it's never too late to try a new outdoor activity. And Mm -hmm. it just made me curious if you have any kind of final words or things to share with someone who might be a beginner or who might be interested, but kind of overwhelmed or... I don't know, something like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so like I mentioned, like I just started skiing last winter. I mean, I skied a little bit growing up, but like I was always, I was bad. Like I, I was not good. And like, it wasn't something that I excelled at and I really didn't like enjoy it that much. And so when I moved to Utah, I was like, okay, like we have the best skiing in the world here. Like I, or at least in the country, like I better learn how to ski, you know? And, and so I just sort of, you know, I took, took a lesson, which was, you know, I think like there's, there's no, nothing wrong with like investing a little bit of money in a lesson. If it's something you're truly interested in getting good at, like and excelling at, like working with an instructor, it can be really, really valuable. And like, it like helped me like refine my sort of like learn how I'm supposed to like the fine tuning of my movements. And, um, it was really helpful, but I think you just got to get out there and do it and not be scared, you know? And it's been like, skiing has been awesome for me. Like I am having the time of my life. It's so fun. And I'm like, I can't believe I've been missing out 
all these years on enjoying winter. Like I thought I hated winter and now I'm like, I love winter. I can't believe it's almost over. Like I want like three more months of winter because I'm just having so much fun skiing. And I think that like, you know, and, and don't be intimidated to go with people that are better than you. Like I ski with, I am always the worst one in the group of people that I ski with, like by quite, quite a bit actually. And like, it's been awesome because I'm challenging myself. Like, you know, I can't always keep up, but it doesn't matter, you know? And like, I get to the bottom, we're having fun. We ride the trailer together and, you know, it's just about having fun. And that's been really cool. And I read something, uh, last year, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was some, uh, female outdoor blogger. And they said, stop apologizing for being slow. Start thanking people for being patient instead. So, you know, if people are waiting up for you, don't like get up to them and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so slow because that creates like a, that's like a negative sort of, you know, then they have to say, don't worry about it. You're not slow when like that's sort of like a very different feeling than like, Hey guys, like, thanks so much for waiting for me. And then it's like, yeah, no problem. Like, this is awesome. You know? And like, I've really like started doing that, like in my outdoor activities where I feel like my friends are better than me. And it's really created like a cool, I don't know. It's like something about it that it's just such a subtle change in the way I communicate with my friends when I'm learning something and it's made a big difference, I think. Yeah, so. no, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> it just changes something that's like feeling down on yourself to actually complimenting your friends, you know, rather than apologizing for not being good at something and feeling down on yourself, like you're not, you're not as good as them. You're like actually turning that into a compliment to someone else that makes them feel good. And then you're all just having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I wish that. I could remember who, who, yeah, I can't take credit for it. I, I can't remember who, who wrote that, but I thought that was really great advice. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's like, there's so many ways to like, you know, there's Facebook groups, there's meetup.com. There's, you know, like there's more and more women's group, like outdoor groups popping up everywhere. Like, you know, I think that there's a lot of ways and, you know, to get involved and meet people that are doing cool things. And yeah, it's just about like, you know, making the time and, you know, it's like, it does take time to, to go outdoors and do stuff sometimes, you know, it's like, it takes a time commitment, but like, I don't know, like certain (laughs) other, other parts of my life have definitely, like, I'm not very, like my, life is like my, like, I'm not very clean. Like I'm kind of messy, you know, because it's like, I'd rather be outside going and having fun than like cleaning, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so it's like, it takes a little bit of a shift in your priorities. Like, you know, obviously some people (laughs) that's not going to work for everybody, but you know, it's kind of like, I think like looking at the outdoors is like the benefits are so vast. Like, you know, it's like, I get some of my best ideas when I'm out hiking and like, I I get inspired when I'm outside and the fresh air is like good for your health. And you're also exercising while you're out there. Right. So it's like, I never go to a gym cause I, I, it's like, people are like, I don't have time. Well, it's like, well, instead of going to the gym, go on a hike for an hour and like, see if you feel 
different than when you stand on a treadmill, you know, at the gym. And I know it's not like, you know, it's not that easy for everyone, but I just feel like it's made such a huge difference in my life. And if you look at sort of like, if you're new and you're starting out, it is going to be a little bit hard. It is going to be challenging, but taking those challenges with like seeing the positive benefits of accomplishing and like getting past those challenges is going to be like totally worth everything else that you have to sacrifice to, to do it. Yeah. Preach. I love it. And I agree. Um, so the way that we wrap up these episodes are with what we call community questions. So it's a series of sort of rapid fiery questions, um, that the listeners want me to ask all of the guests this season. So nine random questions, if you're down to answer that. (laughs) Sure. Um, if you could only watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what show would it be? Um, I like top chef. Ooh, okay. That's yeah. a good choice. Um, of everything that you've spent money on in the past few months, what's the one purchase that has made you the happiest? Um, hmm. It can be an experience too, obviously. It doesn't have to be like a thing that you bought. Yeah, I think um, my new skis. Yep, definitely my new skis. <laughs> I think my husband would say the same thing. He's recently gotten into cross-country skiing, so that's like his thing. Um, What's something that only those in your close inner circle know about you or that maybe people who only know you through social media would be surprised to learn? Um, Let's see. Well, I talk about it a little bit on social, but I am like a huge music fanatic. Like I don't blog about music because it doesn't really fit. I use like music quotes sometimes like in my Instagram, like, photos, my captions, but like, like the name of my blog comes from, I have a Grateful Dead bear tattooed on my foot. So that's why my blog's called Barefoot Theory. And I, I, I think I mentioned it on my about page or something, but. <laughs> so, so that leads perfectly <laughs> into the next question, which is what's the one song that you always turn up and sing along with when you hear it? Um, well, I love music of all, I like a lot of instrumental music, actually. Like, I love jam bands, but I like, pro- I'm listening to Widespread Panic right now, probably more than anything else. They're like an awesome rock and roll jam band. <laughs> What's something that you're not doing or haven't done yet because you're afraid? Mountain biking. Ooh, okay. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done like a little bit, but I'm just so scared of falling and getting hurt and, you know, it's it's really, it's like intimidating. It's hard. Like biking uphill is hard. Um, so that I should take my own advice about what I was just saying about getting into a out, out, new outdoor sport. <laughs> right. Find someone to teach you. Yeah. Take all yeah. your own advice. You can play this yeah. back to yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's done. Um, what's something that you really love about yourself? Um, I think I have a pretty good sense of humor. <laughs> Doesn't always come through, but that's probably something else that my friends like know me. I don't know. Maybe not. (laughs) How do you typically spend the first hour of your day? What does that usually look like? Um, It depends where I am, but always with coffee, always coffee and kind of like seeing what the weather's like outside. Uh, If I'm working, then it's like, you know, getting on my computer, kind of seeing what's going on. But uh, I'm trying to actually change my morning routine a little bit and um, like get away from like looking at my phone the first thing in the morning. Like I'm I'm I actually deleted Facebook from my phone recently and like trying to like 
use my morning time for something else. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That was a big one so, for me too. Yeah. Um, so the next question is about books. Which two or three books of any genre, any kind of book, would you say have had either the biggest impact on you or that you reread or recommend the most? Oh my gosh, it's kind of embarrassing, but I don't really read. That's ter- horrible, I know. That doesn't have to be horrible, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I feel like I read so much on the internet that it's hard for me to find like time to actually sit down and read a book. Um, I did read a book like when I was in Indonesia, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about this woman who biked around the world. Um, and it was really cool. And I remember being like, this makes me want to travel more. I, I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> Obviously didn't have it too big of an influence cause I still don't bike much, but no, I think that's, right. it's, I mean, I'm like an obsessive reader. That's right. like, I mean, a huge thing. So it's always, but I feel the opposite. I don't really care about music. Right. So it's always right. funny to hear like, not everyone's the same, right? Like, yeah, that's, which I mean, is awesome. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I've never, it's never been something I've really been really big into. I was like, a, I'm a, I was like a chemistry major. So like in college, I was always like reading like science books, you know? And, um, so yeah, I guess just a little bit. Uh, that's just something. <laughs> so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take in the next week or month? Sure. Yeah. I'd say that if there's something that you've been like, you know, if you like see like you're like on Instagram and you're like, man, like I'd really love to like be able to do this, like some outdoor something. It's like, just go do it. Like, go try it. Like, you know, and it's, it's like, even if that's like, you know, hiking it up top your local hill or renting a kayak and like or a canoe and going canoeing on the reservoir near your house or, you know, just like, don't make an excuse. Like, just go out there and do it. And I bet you'll see that it's easier than you think. Yeah. And find like, like let yourself allow yourself to find the simplest version of it. Like you said, like yeah. your local waterway, you have like the hill closest to your house. Like it doesn't have yeah. to be a big production. No, definitely not. So, I mean, and, and that's like everyone starts somewhere and, and you know, mm-hmm. everyone started somewhere in their outdoor journey and, you know, like, it, 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 yeah, start small and work your way up. And eventually you'll be like climbing those mountains that you see that, you know, you're like, man, I want to do that. Like that can be you if you just start. I love that. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to sure. connect? Yeah. So my website is barefoottheory.com, but it's B-E-A-R because like the animal because of my Grateful Dead tattoo. And, uh, and then I'm on uh, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram are probably my favorite kind of social networks. I'm barefoot theory at all of them. So pretty easy to find. There's also links on the top corner of my website. So you just go to barefoottheory.com. You click on the links. It'll take you to whatever social network you like to hang out on. Awesome. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Kristen, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been awesome chatting with you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. 
So if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every single month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 